Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today, WWDC invites went out earlier this week. We're going to talk about it. And Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro 10 are now officially available on iPad. We have a review there. And the headset, we're going to talk about it too. This episode is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. And joining me this week, my friend, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Okay, Stephen. Uh, just thinking about airplanes and not wanting to get on them for a little while anyway. <laughs> uh, Wes is talking about the Hijack Trailer, a new series that's going to be coming to Apple TV+. Plus starring Idris Elba. That looks pretty cool. Have you watched Silo, by the way? Um, no, it's on my it's on my to-do list, but that's definitely one of oh, the series man. I'll be watching. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've enjoyed Silo. All right, we, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I definitely want to talk about Final Cut at length. I also want to give a shout out. You should check out the other podcasts on the Apple Insider Network. I think that's I think that's fair to say. We got HomeKit Insider that comes out every Monday. Me and Andrew talk about smart home devices and also the Apple Insider Daily Show. You can get the top headlines in just a few minutes. You can find links to those in the show notes. And if you're an Apple podcast, you can even go to our channel, which then has all three shows right there in one place. So that's pretty fun. Oh, and also, because I'm sure someone will ask, uh, Brother William, he will be coming back next week. He is back from his his long journey. I'm not sure where he traveled. It might have been another planet. It might have been another country. But uh, we will hear from him next week. And so he is back. Listen, I know everyone enjoys the British accent. I kind of wish I had a British accent, Wes. I'm not going to lie. Oh, you're one of those. All right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't wish for the British accent? You don't want to sound like 007? It's fine. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it, see the, 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 that's the thing the, the, the one people want is like her, his, her majesty's English, you know, not, oh, right, right, right. there's a lot of different ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ones. I personally would go more for a, just like pub brawler Irish, you know, just, <laughs> that'd be a fun one. Oh, that'd be a fun one. Oh, Scottish. Scottish is pretty fun too. Anyway, uh, let us know. You can send us sound bites of your accents, listeners. We'd love to. We'd love to have those. One quick follow up. I talked about iCloud Drive last week and the annoyance of removing downloads from the different folders, and there's no easy way to do it on the Mac. Well, apparently, Luke Trevorrow on Mastodon, he actually sent me a link to a blog post by a gentleman named Rakesh, and he actually has a command line, a terminal command, where if you can, you can run it to whatever folder you point it to. It will evict all iCloud Drive downloads within that folder, not deleting the files. It's just removing the local downloads on whatever Mac you run this terminal command on. This is amazing. It's exactly what I wanted. I tried creating a shortcut with it. For some reason, I couldn't get the folder path to work properly and it kept erroring on me. So I'm going to give this to you, the Apple Insider Army. If you uh, want to figure out how to make this thing work and so I can point this just to my top level documents folder in iCloud Drive. I saw several different methods. I guess iCloud Drive in a certain path is like a, a library item or whatever. But then sometimes on the Mac, it just shows like your username, what, you know, whatever the hard drive. I don't know. So anyway, if you can get this terminal command to work, don't don't mess anything. Don't mess yourself up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to delete all your stuff trying this out. Terminal. That's that's fun. Do, do you do you uh, <laughs> play in terminal often or is that is that a tool you you use? I am so scared of terminal because I don't know what I'm doing, but <laughs> I've had several commands over the years. There was one where I was dealing with a lot of images and uploading them to a website where I needed images to be a thousand pixels or less wide. And I found a terminal command where it took any JPEG on my desktop and just resized it to a thousand pixels. I made a text expander snippet of it. So I could just command space, terminal, open terminal, text expander snippet, boom. All the images on my desktop were now a thousand pixels wide or less. So I, I love the power that it gives you. I do most things in shortcuts now because I love shortcuts and I actually understand what's happening. And so running terminal commands like scares me a little bit. And that's why I like I give this with a warning. But this is also, you know, a, to remove the iCloud drive downloads from your computer quickly and pervasively, this would, this is great. I haven't had to dabble in terminal for a while. For a moment there, I was using it for shortcuts. I would actually turn on my Mac and start sidecar. So I had a, I had a headless Mac mini and I used a terminal to basically uh, combine that with a script through shortcuts, run from my iPhone or my iPad to tell the Mac mini to wake up, log in, and it would log in using my Apple watch. And then it would run the script and open the terminal, start sidecar and connect to the iPad, yes. you know, all with a touch of a button. And yes. that was fun. Amazing. Now I have no idea how that works and I've, I would have to go relearn <laughs> the whole thing yeah. and uh, set it up again. But that was, that was fun. Like I've, I've set up my terminal to be a ZH, ZSH. I know that Apple's um, shell changed a couple years ago to some controversy, but yeah, right. it's funny that it's still there and we're still using it to this day. Well, and 
also I used YouTube DL for a while, which is a right a way to download YouTube videos and other internet videos, and you do it right from the terminal command line. And I had text expander snippets for that, so I could like copy the YouTube URL and download it. But then I discovered Downy, and Downy's amazing. And updating YouTube DL was kind of a weird process. And I think I went through Homebrew, which that's kind of right. weird. So I don't use it for that anymore. But I would use it for this for the iCloud Drive downloads. So. Oh yeah, I, homebrew's fun. Um, I mean, this is also big for like uh, side loading and emulation and stuff like that. Yeah, terminals used for a lot of different stuff these days, but yeah, only in like the super nerdy community. I think everyone else kind of stays away for yeah. good reason. Yeah, and I would because you could totally mess up your Mac. Like if you oh, run yeah. the wrong command, like everything's deleted. I, <laughs> yeah, I remember for a while there, the you could turn on the startup sound that was still kind of secret. Right, uh, the Apple was re-adding. You could go turn on the startup sound, and yes, there's there's always some weird uh, command going around that someone's discovered so right basically i wait for someone i trust on twitter to say hey this command line thing is kind of cool and then i will you know trepidatiously try it yeah but let's see yeah let's just tell everyone to run random command lines that they find no don't do it please no don't do it don't (laughs) Don't only do it it if you know what you're doing yeah don't Uh, do it so that's but thank you luca for sending that out now wwdc invites went out to the press earlier this week and so there was the whole developer round and lottery if you wanted to actually buy a ticket as a developer to WW. now they've invited a bunch of press and i don't know if you feel the same way but it really feels like a lot of invites went out way more than past wwdc's like they are inviting many people in the press community influencers youtubers you know i saw people tweeting their invites that they got via email i'm still uh, waiting for mine Uh, I think it's it might be stuck in the mail somewhere. I think it maybe it's down the road. People, I think they have a limited number of seats. It's not like they, right. they just it is outside. Open a secret wall in Apple Park, and there's ten a hundred yards more uh, grass to sit in. You know, sure. But the the way I see it is, is I think this year they handled it a little differently. Mm. I think it was just phases. You know, phase one, phase two, phase three, and we saw the initial phase of developer invites, and then um, we saw a lot of. PR journalist invites and then like phase three was the roundup of here's the leftovers this everyone who could RSVP has this is what the seats that we have left and mm-hmm. so that that's when they bring in uh, different figureheads a lot of the VR people I think it's interesting to observe who's coming right because that does tell us a lot but I don't think it's a uh, any bigger than last year okay so yeah just different crowd but all that to say I was listening to the talk show with Gruber and Jason Snell which if you're not familiar with them Obviously, they've been in the Apple community for a long time. The press, they've covered Apple for a long time. If you listen to the show, the talk show is right up your alley. I mean, I, I, I would definitely just jump right on that. I imagine the Venn diagram is pretty overlapped for those who maybe listen to this show and the talk show. But they were talking and they both feel as though the VR headset or whatever mixed reality headset that German has been very bullish that it is coming at WWDC, like without a doubt. That Gruber and Snell are also very bullish that it is coming out. And they kind of called back to past Apple events, like with the iPhone event in 2007. There was so much pent up just desire for this thing and expectation. Everyone thought they were going to announce a phone. Like it was universal. There were weird renders. There was articles about, is it going to be the iPod phone or what is it going to be called? Very much like the VR headset is today. And if that were to happen and Apple wasn't going to launch an iPhone in 2007, they would have gone through the motions, either back-channeling things or feeding things through specific press people to quelch those rumors and leaks. And not not necessarily leaks, but just like kind of rumors about the product. They didn't do it because they were announcing an iPhone in 2007. And so it looks like now there's not much effort to quelch the VR or mixed reality headset rumors right now. And also, just a quick second point, that the sales, you'll see a lot of, uh, we've covered the articles talking about how the first year of sales is going to be low and they don't expect to sell a lot of them. That's actually Apple possibly setting expectations for things like investors and analysts so that there is not some kind of, oh, this is going to be a bombshell hit selling millions of units the first year. It's setting the expectation low, so then Apple will hopefully surpass it. This, I think, this simulates the Apple Watch release. They're inviting VR experts. Apple Watch release, they invited fashion experts. Right. Uh, it, it was, it, it's a little too on the nose. Tim Cook's being a little bit more um, open about it. You know, the in, right. the wrist is really interesting. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, he did, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, VR is the future and stuff. You know, so like, it's, it's. It's there. I don't think there's, it's any secret that this is happening, but the, the so the three schools of thought. So one, this is a 
initial reveal that will be followed by an actual hardware reveal somewhere down the line six months maybe you know even next spring depending on how far out this thing is and it would give developers the chance to go ahead and start running simulators maybe even get some sort of dev kit maybe you get an htc vive and you press a you you run a software thing inside of the mac and it turns the software into xros and lets you dev tool it that way right like there's there's ways to do this without actually putting the hard headset out on the market so developers can get ahead hideo kojima could be is, is apparently going to be at the event so we could see some some kind of mm. fun uh eldritch horror type uh vr experience i would love to see a version of silent hills that isn't uh konami's ip oh, on see. apple's headset that would be really cool as you're saying like speaking to the timeline i do think it is going to be like the apple watch like you're saying because if our listeners remember apple watch was actually announced in september 2014 and then we actually had another event actually announcing it with pricing and features in april 2015 and then it was actually available to buy and i think it delivered on like april 21st 2015 right and so that was a eight to nine month span from initial reveal to the actual availability of the device and so like you're saying i think very much it's going to be we might see like a video of the hardware or maybe even like, you know, that kind of announcement reveal. I mean, I think they'll have a piece of hardware in their hands. I think oh, yeah, 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 you, yeah. you'll be able to walk up and maybe see it behind a glass desk or behind a rope or something. But it's going to be like the Mac Pro, like behind sure. a glass, you know what I mean? And those who are physically at WWDC, they'll probably be able to like see it in the glass case. I do not think there's going to be live demos for everyone. There might be a select few. You know, they might bring Gruber back. They might bring Snell back and actually use the VR headset. But I think announcement and reveal here at WWDC with the developer story because it's dub dub. And then the device will be available to purchase with an actual event talking about pricing and models and more features in the fall. I would be very surprised if we hear about a price during this event. No, I don't think we will. Yeah, I don't think we will. First school slot is developers uh nobody gets it it's just not on the market they announce it right they do some sort of developer story and simulators that allow them to get ready for the release but there's no actual hardware on the market period the right. second school of thought would be a hundred thousand units so we're seeing this a couple of rumors point to the availability in the first year is going to be super limited it's going to be super expensive and it's going to be focused on if you are a developer making vr systems this is for right, you right. um there'll be a, like a reservation system it's not going to be for everyone and the price is meant to scare everyone away like three thousand dollars <laughs> for a developer right. or even more not not such a big deal especially if you're this big vr studio it's also a tax write-off yeah tax write-off you know it, you could probably even return it i don't know um True. And get and get an uh, apple gift card to buy a mac pro <laughs> but the, so that's that's the second school thought i'm i'm leaning that way i feel like they'll announce it on stage they'll say this is the first step this is to get developers excited this is to get everyone ready for the platform and uh stay tuned consumers and basically next spring or something we'll see the phase two vr headset that quo keeps talking about that'll be like twelve hundred dollars consumer focused and by then developers will have had six months to a year to actually work on apple focused vr stuff right and of course the the third school thinking which i don't i don't think is right is basically apple just drops it out and says no here you go it's three thousand dollars everyone can buy one and then we we, you know we can't see what we can't wait to see what you do with it yeah that's that's not going to be uh what happens i but i'm very curious what if any physical developer hardware kit will be because when apple announced apple silicon at wwdc in 2020 it was a mac mini running an a12z processor developers could buy that i think it was for 500 dollars, and then they could get a gift card if they returned it later i don't think that's necessary this time though like i said because the the reason the developer kits went out is because of the transition and the need to get the hardware in people's hands see but that but that though like if you look at the apple watch release if you were a developer and you wanted to build an apple watch app you could jump into xcode and run a simulator and see your apple watch app on a apple watch type device when you're talking about a vr headset right that is something that has to appeal to both eyeballs you know something different has to be shown oh no yeah vr um is a different very different if you've never put on a vr headset find one and put it on it's you can't describe the experience it's just different but there's also a big challenge there if that headset if apple has a developer focused test kit 
that headset, like I'm sure they'll be explicitly clear, like this is not our headset. This is not what we're launching. There is still going to be months of people trying to build apps on this. And like, I imagine the ATP guys will try to address it. And it's going to be a weird time where it's like, this isn't great, but it's also not the actual headset. So I think this is the Mac Pro all over again. Uh, there's going to be wait lists. Um, yeah. prior, uh, there's going to be, you know, prioritization. If you're an important studio, you'll probably get handed one. No questions asked. Right. A lot of the bigger developers will probably get one um, immediately without having to get on the wait list. And then everyone else will be on the wait list. That's why, again, uh, go back to my, my three schools of thinking. Right. I'm going with two. I'm going with, they're going to announce it. Yeah. It's going to be dev focused. Uh, start shipping in July. It's developers only. Apple's really only expecting to hand out like a hundred thousand of these things. Right. They're not really meant to be on the market. They're going to become a collector's item, but the actual consumer device will be announced like at the end right. of the year, maybe <laughs> probably in the spring. Um, it just, it feels funny. I think this is the, the oddest thing about this. I don't think we've ever seen Apple announce a developer focused product before. It's never, right. it's never had to happen before. And that's why people are kind of bucking at the idea of Apple wouldn't, they're a consumer company. They would never hold an event and announce a dev tool right. um, that's physical and they've never had to before. The closest thing we get to it is the dev kit, but that's for a product that was launching in September, right? There, right. there was like four months that that dev kit needed to really exist in the wild. I want to throw one more wrinkle into this because I do think there might be an option where Apple does not provide dev hardware kits but instead develop some kind of software connection with an iPhone where, right. and you know, I've used these before. You could see them. Google cardboard, cardboard. was a thing. Mm -hmm. Slide your phone into this little visor that sits on your face. Even if you just have to hold it up and your iPhone actually simulates VR by separating and putting it in each eye. It's not a great experience, but it could simulate it. And they could say we have LiDAR built into the iPhone 14 pro it can sense where your hands, it has the depth sensor, and you'll be able to simulate building those apps for the headset with your iPhone in this little, you know, VR adapter to have your iPhone inches from your eyes. And that's how you're going to do it until we actually launch. I think that or the HTC use this other headset to develop our, our tool sure. possible. And there's going to be something that you can do without a headset, without an Apple headset. Right. But I think it's going to be so much worse that people will happily divvy out the $3,000 just to um, have a headset. And, and again, if Apple sells every single one that they make, I think that their goal have been met. They'll be happy, you know, between a hundred thousand, 500,000, the numbers are out there. Um, if they sell all of those, uh, I think that will be good news for the consumer model. And I think it, it, it makes sense, but do, does Apple really want to incentivize people not to go for their dev kit uh, version, the version one, um, in this situation. That's, that's the only reason why I would say that's, that's possibly not going to happen, but we'll see. I'm also just so curious what the story is going to be. And when Apple announces this thing, cause they, they're going to have to talk about possible use cases. Even when the Apple watch was announced in September, eight to nine months before it was released, it talked about how it was an incredibly accurate timepiece that it was a fitness tracker, a notification. The the syncing with the atomic clock thing was is the funniest. <laughs> the just because, like, because yeah. I mean, uh, Gruber's so right about this. Like, they they didn't really have a story. No. They didn't know. They had to get it in people's hands, and the people made the story, and that's why right. so quickly. I I mean, it, it was literally from the release in what was that February March to the first software update in September, a complete change in the entire like how you describe the watch and what it does and how the software is run. Yeah, absolute upside down change uh, because yeah. apple didn't have the story they tried and it's like it's it's a watch it tells time and, it has, <laughs> and you can you know send tap backs to your right. friends and that's why i think this is going to be interesting because like i think you're right like whatever story they tell at dub dub is probably not going to be the story two or three years from now but they're still going to say something or even six months right from now. but they're still going to tell a story and i'm curious that but also being apple and being having the reach and when they introduce a device like the Apple Watch, it is not a huge hit at first. It's after several years, right. but then it becomes pervasive. People find the use case that is meaningful for them and it becomes a sustainable and successful product. People people have re really short memories. Like uh, they, they like to say, you know, this is going to be a flop. E every Apple product that's ever 
been known to be announced before it was announced. Uh, the predictions were out that it was going to be terrible. <laughs> the industry is already saturated. It's a mature market. Nobody cares. Right. The iPad being the exception because but the iPhone being out for a few years before the iPad basically created the hype for the iPad in a way that no other product uh, has had. Right. That was a standout of, wow, this thing really boomed and then it fell flat for a few years. It basically, it had to stabilize and get to its own actual market instead of this exploding initial sales. But every other product Apple's had, I think it's funny though, because on the flip side is every time Apple enters a market, the numbers that they get, anyone else in that market would kill for. Oh yeah. And I think this is going to be it again. E even at $3,000, this, this thing's going to sell really well out the gate uh, just because it has an Apple logo on it. Like sure. it's, it's not a, like the, the, the branding alone is enough, but I think the, the storytelling that Apple is capable of is really interesting. And for me personally, I think what I'm most excited to see is XROS. Yeah. Like the headset is whatever. I think the platform itself, the software, the operating system, right. that's the future of Apple and how they come out the gate and the description and how it all runs. That is more exciting to me. Absolutely. It, it is going to be interesting. Again, what use cases are different post Apple headset than pre because even right now, like speculating on what it could do and the use cases, all we have are previous headsets, just like when the iPhone launched, all we had to compare were previous smartphones and the paradigm shift was so dramatic. Then I don't know if this will be that, but it could be. And I've only tried an, a quest two once, you know, I played a star Wars game and like, you know, force pulling a lightsaber to you is pretty cool, but you're also holding a controller and there's like separation of control like that. The rumors are saying that the Apple headset, it will not be a physical controller thing, but it will be hand tracking and everything will be gestures. I think that will be better experience and create interesting uh, use cases inside the headset. But knowing that Apple entering the market will open up to millions of more users accessing and using a headset all the time will inspire developers and encourage companies to actually make more use cases and software and apps for it and to see what are the possibilities after that. Uh, I think it's really exciting. And so I honestly, I've not been excited about the headset until this week. <laughs> now I'm like, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to, I want to dig into this just a little bit before we move on. Um, XROS specifically. Right. Right. Uh, I, I've been researching this for the last few days. I wrote a short, um, what you'd call a preview for our inside page, which will actually have the real information once Apple announces XROS, but Apple has something that no other VR system has devices. Apple has iPhones, iPads, Macs, Apple Watches, uh, saturating people's homes. And if this headset is standalone, you can expect that we're going to start seeing the beginnings of Apple's augmented reality XROS platform. Mm. So Because this, this is, uh, it all kind of clicked when I was writing about this. So we know this is a VR headset. I know you keep using the words mixed reality. That's not technically right yeah. as far as we know. Apple could announce a mixed reality headset, sure. I don't believe that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a VR platform first. Right. Um, I, I've used VR. I had a PSVR headset, uh, used it for years. I uh, loved playing Beat Saber on it until my dog uh, chewed through one of the connection cables. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and uh, that, that was... That was well, like last year. So it was well into the life of this product. PSVR 2 was days away from being announced. I was, I mourned it and moved on. Sure. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a VR experience, right. right? So it's going to be, you put the headset on, you're inside of a right. world. You, you, you know, you're going to go to an office or a beach, or you're going to play a video game or uh, drive a car, right? Like you're going to be inside of an experience. You're completely blocked off from the outside. Virtual reality. Um, that's going to be the primary use case. 99% of the, the headset is going to be that. But I do believe, like other headsets have been doing, there will be a pass-through mode. But generally speaking, these pass-through modes have been used for finding where the couch is so you don't trip over it while you still have the headset right. on it. It, it, it. It's a convenience tool. And it's like blurry. It's basically black and white. Maybe uh, you don't really get much detail. You just kind of get to see outside of your uh, headset while you have it on using the really dim cameras on the headset. Now, Apple's unit it's supposed to have really good cameras. And right. this is where the AR pass-through modes come in. I believe that some part of this headset is going to be able to run AR experiences like what we've seen on iPad with LiDAR. Mm, and right. so with the headset on, yeah, with a battery pack in your back pocket, this big hulking thing on your head, you'll be able to look at a table in your 
living room and have like a game pop up on it. Like you'll be able to look down and see a augmented reality object and interact with it. And because you have your hands uh, for gestures and stuff, you'll be able to, to mold it and interact with it in ways. So this is a little bit more of the augmented reality platform. Mixed reality is a little different. That's when um, basically the headset uses the space that you're in to um, recreate atmosphere. So basically mm. it would turn your living room into the Death Star style, but right. but like the furniture is Death Star furniture. It's like the emperor's chair. Like your recliner turns into the emperor's chair. Right, right. When you're looking at it, you you see a chair, but it's a different design of a chair and you sit in on it, it's a physical object. That's mixed reality. And that's a little bit more advanced. I don't think that's what we're getting. Right. But yeah, I think this AR pass-through mode is important because uh, we have to keep in mind, this is step one. This, If you're confused about why Apple's releasing a VR headset when the market's already kind of saturated with Oculus, um, this platform has to exist in order for the Apple glasses to exist. Apple can't hold this internally for five more years developing Apple Glass right. uh, or, or and, and XROS without any external input. They need this out on the market. Everyone's going to buy it and use it as a VR headset and watch 3D movies in a, in a theater and stuff and, and uh, play Beat Saber. Great. But... It's also going to allow developers to bring their AR experiences out of the iPhone and iPad into a headset that you can wear and start training these things on what if this was a set of glasses. Mm. And, I, and that's that's what's exciting to me. And I think we're going to see a little bit of that here. And it's only going to get better over the next few years. And that's that's what I would buy one for. Hopefully the consumer version of this isn't too bad because I don't think I don't think I'm going to be able to afford a three thousand dollar headset. At least I don't I don't want to have to spend that money no. on something. Honestly, I would probably only play Beat Saber on. So. <laughs> right, a three thousand dollar Beat Saber machine is seems a little off, but I yeah. I do think there will be a version that is less expensive, more consumer more consumer accessible because that's what Apple does to all of their product lines. Like even if they start out super high end or expensive, like they do offer cheaper versions in the future. So. But, I, but yeah, I'm excited. WWDC, we're literally just over a week away, and we will finally see what Apple has in store. Yeah, this is this is one of the rare, if only, Apple products that is going to be released that isn't important as what it, what it is heralding next, right? This is literally a product that says, I am not the one that you should be looking at. Look ahead. Mm. And, uh like the iPhone coming out, it's always been about the iPhone. The Apple Watch has always been about the Apple Watch. The iPad's always been about the iPad. So I don't think we've ever had this happen with Apple before. But the VR headset is not about the VR headset. It's about what's next. And that cool. is compelling. I, yeah, can't wait. Very cool. This episode is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Have you ever heard of a peanut butter fruit tree? Listen, I had not heard of that either. But as I was browsing fastgrowingfruittrees.com, as you do... I found a peanut butter fruit tree and I had to have it. And so we got it and it's wonderful. And I have to recommend that you go to fastgrowingtrees.com and you'll find something you can love too. Breathe some life into your backyard with fastgrowingtrees.com this spring and summer from shade to fresh fruit to privacy, natural beauty. Let Fast Growing Trees help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and reliable shipping. Listen, that's the best part of Fast Growing Trees because if you wanted to buy a plant or a tree and like actually drive to a hardware store or a nursery, put that thing in the back of your car or truck and now there's, there's dirt everywhere. There's dirt everywhere. It's not a good experience. You got to drag it from the car to the backyard. Don't do that. Fast Growing Trees ships those plants directly to your door. It's packaged beautifully. You can carry it to the backyard, not get dirt anywhere. And then take it out, keep it in the pot for a little while, plant it in the ground, all of that, and it is super easy. So no more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants around with FastGrowingTrees.com. You do your order online, plants arrive at your door in just a few days. And you actually tell it what state you're in, what region, and then it will let you know what plants will flourish in your environment. And that's important. You want something that's going to thrive wherever it's planted. And with Fast Growing Trees' 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you know, everything will look great fresh out of the box. So join over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers and go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash appleinsider now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash appleinsider. The link is in the show notes as well. Our thanks to Fast Growing Trees for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's hit just a few other news bits, and then I want to talk about Final Cut on iPad. Apple announced its design awards and nominees, and there were a bunch of apps. We'll put the link in the show notes, but just three I wanted to mention because I use them, and I really enjoy them, and I think they deserve uh, this nomination. Flighty, an incredible flight tracking app. Headspace, 
They've actually been a sponsor on this episode. Love their app. And one I thought was really interesting was Camo Studio has actually been featured. Camo Studio has actually been nominated for an Apple Design Awards. And Camo is actually use your iPhone as a webcam utility. And I think it's great that Apple still highlighted this application while they still have continuity camera as a feature on the iPhone and Mac just built into their system first party. So kudos to Apple for still recognizing apps that seemingly have been Sherlocked, but also Camo Studio offers a lot more features than Continuity Camera does. So really cool. And uh, there's some great apps there. You can check out the article in the show notes. Camo getting the innovation nomination just makes sense because they created a system pre-Apple to do this. So that's pretty innovative on top of the fact that they do way more than Apple out of the box. But I wanted to point out too um, how funny it is. Uh, A lot of these... There's a lot of games in here, a lot more than you would think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Diablo Immortal, Resident Evil Village, Marvel Snap. Having just watched PlayStation's uh, showcase, I would love to see a future where Apple just has a Game Awards show or something, or maybe yeah, they they go fun. to the Game Awards because there is a there's an official Game Awards. We've discussed this before. Right. I don't know. I just think it's funny. Like uh, Stitch is nominated, and that's a simple little game. Uh, Marvel Snap, obviously being here, is funny because that just exploded. I, looking at the innovation. Um, section it's a uh, ai tennis app we've seen that uh mentioned um during keynotes before camo studio a sleep tracker yeah yeah right those are the three apps and then resident evil village stitch and marvel snap three games so i just think like three apps versus three games it seems a little odd to me like why don't they break out a game category like best game or best most innovative game so i think maybe that's coming especially with uh, apple arcade but i just thought that was um an interesting uh part of the awards this year and apple did actually award a podcast like podcast of the year award last year so yeah definitely makes sense for games and stuff that'd be cool i wanted to mention adobe generative fill We've talked about different AI features on the show, but seeing videos of this in action is pretty wild. This is Adobe building its Firefly AI tool into Photoshop. And basically, you know, there's content aware fill. We've had that in Photoshop and things like Pixelmator Pro for a long time. There was a picture I saw where there was like a bicyclist on a road. And in the Photoshop interface, someone will like select a bunch of cracks in the road And then a text prompt comes up and you could say, you know, remove the cracks and potholes in this road. The generative fill just does it. And then it selected part of the road and it said, add a double yellow striped line down this road, adds it right on the image. Wild. It has to like expand the image to make it even wider. And it's way better than content aware fill ever was like, and you're typing in a text box, these prompts that you would think of doing in like mid journey or chat GPT, but it's right in Photoshop and it's wild just amazing yeah these are tools these are tools i can get behind this is very smart it basically takes the things that humans were doing already and accelerates it right so this isn't one of those uh you're being replaced by a human situation or a a robot situation this is more of a you're enhancing your workflows and getting more done faster right like so like this this makes a lot of sense to me uh one of the funnier things i saw done with this um if you uh track if you use Twitter and you're in the tech space and follow a bunch of people, you probably saw this. Ian Zelbo, the guy who um, makes renders, yes. he, he posted a photo of his desk setup and said, "Find a cable." And people were circling cables, and <laughs> it was just a silly, just a silly chat f- uh, thread. I think it was uh, Aaron. Piece. Anyway, it, it was one of those guys. Just. Yeah. He used Adobe's system to add a giant like floor cable to the picture. <laughs> and it was just like, there's a, there's a cable and this gigantic, like um, what you would call like an industrial size cable, but it looked like it belonged there. Like it was always in the photo and I had to go double check and it's like, what, where'd this come from? But yeah, that, that was, that was pretty clever. And it's, it's like, yeah, these kinds of tools that can be used for, you know, making a magazine cover or making a silly meme. So yeah. I think that's fun. It is. It's pretty cool. So iOS 17, German had this recent leak or rumor that in iOS 17, when it comes to DubDub, that the iPhone will get a smart display mode when it is put on a charger, like a MagSafe charger. We have something similar on the watch. Like if you put your Apple watch on its charger, it goes into nightstand mode. You see the time and the little charging symbol and a little red dot for notifications. But he is saying now that with iOS 17, you'll be able to put an iPhone on a charger and the smart display could show things like HomeKit scenes, maybe even widgets. And this will be a precursor to a future smart display, either a standalone device, like a HomePod with screen that we've heard about for several years, or maybe like some kind of docking mechanism for an iPad having this smart display. 
I'm excited for this. Obviously, I'm a huge HomeKit user, and so I would love to be able to have some HomeKit scenes right there on the lock screen, be able to run them on my iPhone. When I put it on my MagSafe charger at night, I use the Belkin 3-in-1 like tree charging stand, so the iPhone's at like a perfect angle for that. I am interested and curious how Apple will implement touch controls on something like a lock screen control panel and how it will handle unlocking and authentication. I hope there will be a setting that you can say, let me interact with this display. And because iPhone 14 Pro isn't always on display, it could just be on and visible. And you could just you could just tap a HomeKit screen with one tap. It will run the scene and be done. Or will Apple force like Face ID to unlock the phone first, at least invisibly, and then it will be interactive and you'll be able to touch a scene or interact with a widget. So curious how that would actually play out in real world use cases, but I would be excited for this. I would love to be able to have HomeKit scene triggers on my iPhone display next to my bed. I have a dedicated Eve button, which is a HomeKit button, and I press it just for my good night scene at night, and it would just make a lot of sense. My iPhone is right there on the nightstand next to the button. If I could just tap the screen and run the same scene. Basically what's been described is the iPhones in landscape, uh, it's locked and you see a series of information yeah. about the home and perhaps other information. And that's that's what where it kind of gets away from itself a little bit. I think this is just an expansion of the always on lock screen uh, that we've seen with iPhone 14 Pro and the right. iOS 16's lock screen customization system. And the reason why I say that is because iPad OS 17 is going to get this lock screen feature. I mean, that, that's almost guaranteed that Apple staggers these year by year. I, I can't wait for that, by the way, having widgets and a customization system for iPads. That's going to be great. Hopefully we get an always on iPad. But um, anyway, for the uh, for that to work on iPad OS 17, we got a larger screen. That means placing more widgets. That means more widget types and sizes. Mm -hmm. I think this landscape iPhone version is just that. It's a it's a further enhancement. Sure. That widget system. Now that they're, the developers are going to be able to make larger iPad widgets, the those same widgets will become available in certain sizes on the iPhone as well. You're going to have more space. So you're going to have more space for more information. So you'll you'll turn the phone landscape. You'll have this large clock in the center, and maybe on either side you'll be able to have six widget groups or maybe a square widget. Tapping it, you might be able to assign a, sh a shortcut or something. So sure, you might be able to do those kinds of things that you're expecting, mm -hmm. but just like the lock screen widgets of today, tapping it would force the phone to do a face ID check, unlock the phone, open the app and run whatever program you're, you're telling it to do, Yeah, um, which is fine. I, but I don't, I don't, I don't expect this to be a fully interactive smart display. I, I think that was a good way to get everyone hyped up for it. But I think this is just an, an advancement of the existing lock screen system. But I will say this does seem like a precursor for what could be next for a smart display of some kind with widgets and controls and stuff like that on this always on display. So I, I think that part can be true as well, but I wouldn't get your hopes up about like a super interactive, really smart thing. But on another note, all of this come to TVOS and let yes. me have a giant information board uh, instead of a screensaver or on top of the screensaver, but moving on. <laughs> and just real quick, because I had several clients over the years want a live dashboard view of different like pieces of data or whatever. And I was able to do it with things like Amazon Fire Sticks and other devices. And there were like third party applications where you could build dashboards that pull data from like Google spreadsheets because you can set Google spreadsheets as public where it's just accessible via a URL on the web. And these like dashboard things, I think one was called like Gecko Board. And you could like I built these live dashboards with it. and just seeing that flexibility, not that I necessarily want all that on an Apple TV, but just having more use case for the Apple TV screen. Like the screensavers are beautiful. I love all the aerial screensavers when my Apple TV has gone to sleep because I'm talking to people and we haven't started watching something yet. But I love when there's new ones and it's just like, look, it's oh, a new Oh, I place. love it. And you just, you lightly <laughs> tap the Apple TV remote or tap it on your phone and you can see the location, like where that aerial footage was taken. But yeah, I would love more options for like what can be displayed on this massive screen. Yes, aerials are beautiful, but maybe even just like widgets overlaid on that. Like the Google Chromecast, you have awesome wallpapers, but then you could also just have like the weather. You know, if you would just want that in the corner but yeah i think all, all of these are interesting concepts for what's coming in apple software pipeline but 
again, we're talking about Apple. This guy is so we have to be a little more conservative. A little more conservative. Well, I, listen, I would just like first party HomeKit widgets. My goodness. Like, you can, there's, right, there's no right. home widgets for the lock screen or the home screen on iPhone from Apple's own home app. I think this is the 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 same situation that we have with iPad OS 17 getting lock screen widgets a year later. So that could be a thing and that'll be great. More focus modes would be nice. I'm still begging and pleading for alternate app icons. I would love dark icons, mm. but that's never going to happen from Apple anyway, not first party. But I think this will be an interesting WWDC. For sure. All right. I want to round out the show talking about Final Cut Pro on iPad. I did not really try Logic Pro 10. Actually, both of my sons requested it just today. Like this morning, I think they, they realized it was out. And so they are literally downloading it right now. And so I will report back their review of Logic Pro 10 maybe on the next episode. But I have tried Final Cut Pro. I made a little video about it. I have lots of thoughts. But have you tried it at all? Just out of curiosity? Uh, no. These apps, are, they're too far outside of my wheelhouse. Sure. I have no... Like, I would go in and press a couple of buttons and be like, that's neat. If there's something that comes up that would let me use these and try them out, sure. But I'm not going to go on a whim and throw $5 at something that, like, I just, I'll wait a little bit. And once Apple wows me with something that makes me say, wow, that's something I can do, then I'll go and try it out. But there's just nothing there for me right now. Well, I will say it is clear after using it for several days that Final Cut Pro for iPad is not for Final Cut users on the Mac who spend all day in Final Cut. And that is me. I edit several videos every week, multiple videos, like three plus in Final Cut on the Mac. I love Final Cut on the Mac. It's wonderful. And moving to Final Cut Pro on iPad, it is still a very different experience. While powerful and Apple added some key features that I think are great, and I'll mention those in a second, it is clearly not meant for Final Cut Mac users to say, oh, maybe I'll just use Final Cut like normal on an iPad. That is not the case. It is a very different application. Two key issues, and then I'll talk about the good things. Number one, you cannot edit in Final Cut Pro on iPad with your footage stored on an external drive. This is something Final Cut Pro on Mac does, obviously. And also, LumaFusion on iPad and DaVinci Resolve on iPad let you have all your footage on an external drive. Let's say you have a Thunderbolt SSD that's connected to your iPad. Both LumaFusion and DaVinci let you point to a folder on that external drive using the built-in files interface on the iPad and says, reference the footage on this drive, let me edit it in the app, but don't physically copy it to my device. Why? Because maybe you only got the 256 gigabyte version iPad and you just don't have enough room for a ton of 4K footage. And to put a little perspective on it, I tried editing a full YouTube video I was making in Final Cut on iPad and it was over 70 gigabytes of footage And I wasn't even done yet bringing all the footage in. So if you're editing 4K video at a high quality and you wanted to do it on iPad, you might be able to have one, two, like three projects max stored on the device. And then you would have to constantly offload or shuffle footage around because your iPad wouldn't be able to hold it. Or, you know, just well, I have a one terabyte iPad, but even so, like, you know, minimal. You also have like everything you've ever done on there, but. No, um, I think I think that's an issue. I think that's something that they'll address because, like I said in the last episode, I think so. Um, that's a part of the system. Like you, you can address things outside in an SSD, and and uh, I don't think you have to bring it in uh, with every app. I don't know. I, and you said, like you said, LumaFusion does this. So yeah, I think this is uh, coming. These apps are interesting. I may not have used them, but I understand what's going on with them. I've read read a lot of interactions with them, like what people have thought and uh, take on it is basically. Everyone's coming at it from the wrong direction, I think. These apps, I don't know. I mean, they did, Apple came out of the gate. I think in their introduction video, didn't they show someone making like a, a TikTok video or something? Yes. Yeah, vertical um, video. Or an, Insta- an Instagram vertical video. Uh, like, that's cool. But like, I, so yeah, go, go record... Uh, 4k uh, ProRes and edit it on your ipad for instagram i know that's overkill but that's that's kind of like what apple's saying you can do here right. because these <laughs> devices are so powerful but i think i i made a, a, a stupid joke on um Macedon, you know, you you open up YouTube and there's a guy sitting in front of thirty thousand dollars of camera equipment with one point five million subscribers saying that Final Cut on iPad is half baked. <laughs> well, yeah. And there's a teenage and there's a teenager with five dollars saying, "Wait, what a minute! I can use Final Cut. I have five dollars." You know, right? Uh, so like that, I think that's the difference here. Like you're saying, you have to have the right mindset, and that's why for me, I was thinking 
maybe I can move my workflow to the iPad, which is not the case. But like you're saying, I also think is not yet and is the wrong mindset. Because the other part that was difficult for me in editing was that there are many keyboard shortcuts and tools that are really like first top level and final cut. If you're just starting to edit on the Mac, you're going to learn to use the blade tool, which is you press B on the keyboard and you click on your clip in the timeline and it cuts it. And now you can adjust the endpoint, and outpoint, separate, whatever. And that blade tool, while present on Final Cut Pro on the iPad, it functions very differently, takes a few more taps to actually use in the timeline. And it's clear it is not meant for a Final Cut user on the Mac who uses a bunch of keyboard shortcuts to just go to the iPad with a magic keyboard and do the same. That's the thing with um, iPad OS, keyboard shortcuts systems are very limited, uh, even for developers adding them to their apps. This is one of those things that like could happen at WWDC this year. And I think maybe because of these pro apps coming, uh, it's a good sign. Apple could open up or even build an entire API around uh, system-wide or just app-wide keyboard shortcuts for developers that is implemented right now that would completely open this up and give us access to basically all of the commands that we want now or even just give us programmatic ones that we can create inside of the tools and that would change the game but again that would require a system update so uh, we'll just have to see what iPadOS 17 has to offer and I do want to mention there are some unique features that again make clear the use case Apple intended and make it useful for me personally where the auto crop which we mentioned when we talked about it but Pulling in a piece of video footage and having Final Cut track the subject, namely someone's face or whatever objects they're holding, and crop that 16 by 9 footage into a vertical clip so the subject is always in the frame, that is going to be an incredible tool for me for making shorts out of long-form video content. And again, speaks to, I think Apple sees this as a mobile content creation platform and one really geared towards short-form video or clips for social media, not the same workflows as Final Cut on the desktop. The last thing I'll say about it is the one area where I do think Apple missed it a little bit was how the Apple Pencil functions inside Final Cut on the iPad. Apple touts often the different interactions you can do with the Apple Pencil. It introduced Apple Pencil Hover with the M2 iPad Pro, Freeform app, Notes. Like Apple is no stranger to the functionality of the Apple Pencil in different applications, even things like Keynote and Pages on the iPad and all of that. And for someone who edits podcasts on iPad every week, the interaction that the Apple Pencil gives me editing audio, I just it's so much faster for me. I've talked about it before. And so I think, and my expectation was that I would be able to edit with a similar speed because I'm used to editing with Apple Pencil on iPad in Final Cut. And there's just weird things like it's missing a unique input control. Like the Apple Pencil in Final Cut on iPad. If you have Apple Pencil Hover, which is only M2 iPad Pros, that is pretty cool scrubbing footage without actually touching the screen. Like, that's cool. Slightly, like, I don't know how useful that is, but it's cool. But otherwise, the Apple Pencil is really just a substitute for your finger inside the UI. Tapping the controls, tapping the clips. It doesn't do different things than your finger can. And that's where, and and I understand Apple needs to build it where if someone doesn't have an Apple Pencil, they can still utilize everything in the software. That's the difference where in Ferrite, you can still do everything with your finger. Like an app has been built that allows that. But Ferrite also allows you when you connect an Apple Pencil with the app, there is a whole host of additional controls that are then open to you. And you can say, I want the pencil to delete when I drag it across the screen, but my finger moves the timeline. And just that simple distinction where I can scrub back and forth in the timeline with my finger, and then when I delete something, I use the pencil, and I can go back and forth without any lag or waiting because it's two different input controls. That allows such faster editing in Ferrite, and that's the kind of interaction I was hoping for, or at least some kind of interaction innovation in Final Cut. This stuff could still come. I could see it in like Final Cut 2.0 where the Apple Pencil now has an entire preference pane. And I hopefully, hopefully it goes that way because I think it would make it right. much more enjoyable to edit for those of us who really like Apple Pencil gesturing and things like that. The only concern I would have is does Apple find that too antithetical to its uh, design? Does it? Yeah. Does that does that kind of complexity go against what Apple wants in a device to say you can do whatever you want, but only if you have this pencil, only if you want to do these, you know, and that you start siloing these features into things, which is great for pros who want total control, 
but I think that might go against a little bit of Apple's approach of making it friendly for everyone. Yeah, they're using Pro Apps and also like features like Scribble. Like you can't do Scribble with your finger. That's an Apple Pencil specific feature. So I mean, they do it. We have we have time for one last little thing because I, I wanted to say this. I won't be here, I won't be back right because William's going to be here next week. So William's on next so week. So I, right? I won't be back till after uh, the keynote for WWDC. Right. Right. Well, that, right. That's how that's how close we are. It's crazy. Amazing. So I wanted us to do. What if you had one? Just one wish list item that would be fulfilled, like your your one thing. What would you like uh, Apple to do? <laughs> I had a huge list, and I, I moved it to next week because we ran out of time this week. I could have one, just one thing, one thing. Standalone passwords app, maybe. I was gonna say, I was gonna say that, but I'm. This is going to be weird. I, I'm torn right now between shortcuts automations on the Mac because that would be a big deal, or this is so small, but actual snooze in mail. Oh, I thought you were going to pick that. That's fun. Because <laughs> I literally have to open either fast mail or the Gmail app just to snooze an email message so it disappears from my inbox. And I would love to, because I use Apple Mail on all of my devices. I have four to five email accounts across all those. I would love to just be able to snooze natively in those interfaces and not have to jump into these other apps <laughs> to do it. So it's one of those two, but... If I could only have one of those, I would probably go with shortcuts automations on the Mac. I really want those. So if you can only do one of those, you would do three of those. Got it. Um, and no, the shortcuts automations <laughs> on the Mac. That's my one. That's, that's my one. What's what's your one? It's tough. I think I would go with uh, one of your picks here is um, just redesigning Apple's uh, simpler database system apps. So contacts, calendars. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Specifically, yeah. I would love to see a redesign of contacts, but like if all three, you know, contacts, calendars, and uh, what, like mail. the mail. Yeah. Like if Apple could just, those productivity apps, just revamp those, reimagine them for 2023, that'd be amazing. But most specifically, contacts, because so much we've, we've written about it, we've hammered this into the ground. So much of like Siri's intelligence about who you are as a person and who your relationships are and people, uh, dates, uh, photos app, everything pulls from contacts. There's just so much database information in there. Giving that some love would enhance everything. And I think uh, it would be really interesting to see what Apple could do with contacts yeah. today. I know that's boring, but it, I think it's also mm-hmm. kind of interesting. But um, one... One, one last thing, and I know this is cheating. This isn't WWDC related, but uh, one wishlist item, uh, just in general, Apple, make it so I can disable specific genres of music from my recommendations engine so I can listen to sleep sounds in Apple Music without having to disable recommendations every time because yeah. that's madness. Or B, let me disable recommendations using a shortcuts action at bedtime. One or the other. Something. Please. It doesn't have to be a WDC. Do it tomorrow. Just yeah. do something. Thank you. That's good. Let us know. We're going to be doing our big wish list uh, next week. William will join me. We'll talk about Mac OS, iPad OS, and I have a wish list right here ready. So send them to us. You can send it to Wes and myself. Our links are in the show notes for Mastodon and Twitter. Of course, you can support the show, patreon.com slash Apple Insider, or directly in Apple Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.